Welcome to Improsophy, where we bring living room discussions to your daily life. This week, we are currently discussing Carl Jung's concept of the self. Enjoy! Alright, so in Ion by Carl Jung, we're talking about what he coins the individuation process, which is the process of a person uh, for him it's his, his clients in therapy finding wholeness and this process it's it's not super linear but it it does have components to it he first talks about the shadow which is the integration and coming to terms with the parts of yourself that were rejected by the conscious mind uh, I've heard it phrased recently that at any time you're you're going through your family history or your relationship history and and coming to terms with that that's that's like shadow work um, and then Jung also has another stage called the sigisty, which is your development of your psychology of the opposite sex uh, for the man. The opposite sex is called the anima, and for the female, the opposite sex is called the animus. Um, as far as what what the component of the unconscious is, and now we get to the self. So Jung is Jung at this point is assuming that in the individuation process, that someone has you know come to terms with with themselves and they're not really responding to trauma anymore that they're not they're not reacting and it's it's actually a point of almost trusting your instinct again uh, how's that for summary <laughs> yeah i think that's a good summary there um overall i think it's good i think it'd be good to start off with in integration and individuation page 24 I think I gave a brief summary of what I was writing. Uh, integration of the subconscious to the conscious can help the ego. The main issue can be what we are unaware of that we can possibly integrate into our conscious minds. We must remain aware of what we are integrating in order to be a more integrated person. If we are not careful of this process, our shadow can take hold of our own ego, and the evil we try to avoid becomes the very thing we despise. So basically, being careful of what you integrate into your own conscious. Because mm. the very shadow that you might tr be trying to, for lack of a better term, improve, might be the very thing that take o takes over and swallows your very soul. Or your very, I guess, ego, if that would be the proper term to use. Yeah, yeah so the ego is the center of the conscious mind. It, it's kind of like the decision maker, it's the executive desk um and integration that seems to be for a particular archetype you're mm -hmm. integrating your shadow you're integrating your anima mm -hmm. the individuation process seems to be a series of integrations that that's my best understanding of how they're differentiated uh but yeah that that quote that the ego is kind of the active agent and it it, it chooses how to integrate the archetypes that 
that encounters. Yeah, that's that's very accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm wondering. So th- I guess for to put it in a practical term, how can we have boundaries with our own self? And how can we properly integrate that shadow part of ourself to become a more integrated person? Do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I do. So I suppose... Um, what would be a good one here? Um, I guess anger would be a good one because you see so much anger on whatever social media platform. The more you type out, the more angry you get, the more clicks you get. There's a, I want to call it a negative feedback loop because you're getting negative attention even though you're getting all this possible <laughs> affirmation. I don't know. It's positive feedback loop as far as it's self-perpetuating, but it is it is definitely negativity that's okay. winning. Yeah, I, whenever I see something negative, I just think it's negative feedback. If it's positive, it's positive feedback. But that that's just where my mind works. But uh, okay. but I, I get what you're saying, though. My, my um, engineering <laughs> controls theory is kind of ruined that. <laughs> I, I was always taught in like electronics that positive feedback is like when you put a microphone next to a speaker... And it just amplifies it louder and louder. Okay. So, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure how exactly to work no, that term, but that's fair. Okay. But yeah, um, anger. I think a good way of doing it is learning to acknowledge the anger that you feel instead of trying to supp- to suppress it. Or let's say you're feeling annoyed with somebody, and you're like, "No, I'm not annoyed with this person," but it's like, "Why are you getting upset with them?" Uh, what happens when you realize you're angry? Like, what's... I, th- I think that's a good question. What happens when you realize you're angry? I think you realize that there's this emotion that you might not be fully dealing with. And when you realize that, my guess, at least I'm trying to relate this to myself, is that if you can relate what you're feeling to yourself... Let me let me start over. If you acknowledge what you feel, you can control how you feel better anyways, in a sense. So for me, if I acknowledge, hey, why am I feeling I'm so I don't realize that I'm being annoyed, feeling annoyed by people. I'm feeling angry by people. But then I realize, why do I feel this way? And then I realize this is an irrational feeling that I'm feeling. And so I'm able to properly control what I'm doing or what I'm feeling. Does that make sense? Or yeah, it's, hmm. let me try to put it in a simpler yeah, term. I guess I'm like a little unsure about the I recognize it. So now I can control my emotions. Yeah, that, I think I'm my guess is I'm thinking in a stoics term. Okay. So, because I've I've read a bit of Stoic philosophy and and put that integrated that into my life, so I guess maybe for the average person, realizing why do I feel this way, ask yourself why am I feeling this way about this sort of thing? Maybe you feel like you've been wronged 
and you feel like you need to justify it. But the question is, are you actually justified in how you feel? Even if somebody has wronged you, are you going a little too far in what you are uh, perceiving, if that makes sense? Yeah, like there is there is the continuity between anger and murder. That's that's mm-hmm. essentially what said in the Beatitudes. Uh, that, that the Old Testament says, do not kill, but I say do not be angry with your brother. Uh, yeah, there definitely is a continuity towards that, and I am not pro-overcorrection as far as anger or, or just escalating things. Um... This is an idea I'm playing with. I don't know if I've lived with it long enough, uh, but in the case of anger, if you realize you're angry, perhaps there's certain boundaries that are healthy to set in the future. Hmm. Uh, that it, yeah, I guess it's a mix. Part of it might be setting better boundaries. Part of it might be forgiveness. Um, yeah, I'll just say that much. Okay. And I also wonder if just uh, as well having an active life. So instead of sitting around all the time, just go to the gym or go for, at the very least, go for a walk. I I think. Oh, is that relating to like the frustration or anger? Yeah. Drive? Partly that and also partly just simply being healthy. Mm. Being a healthy person because I think having good or at least a somewhat active life will be good for the mental state um okay yeah jordan what's your definition of the self is in your understanding of jung oh that's a good question i haven't thought too much on that hmm for me the definition of the self is the personality that you exhibit so the, there's three versions of the self. The version that people see, the version of you that you think you are, and then the version of you that you actually are. So basically, how people perceive you. That's a persona. Yeah. If you to use Jung's term. Yeah. How, you, how people perceive you, how you perceive yourself, and who you actually are. Mm-hmm. That that's I guess that's the best way I can see as the self. So maybe you think of yourself as this thing, but as a matter of fact, you're the exact opposite of whatever this thing is. Mm. So to relate it, maybe somebody who let's say somebody who's on 4chan all the time who thinks there's this really smart dude, but then when you ask them just a basic question about something they're they're so stupid that they can't even tie their own shoes kind of thing so there's a difference between perception of the self and who you actually are yeah an ego can definitely be overinflated and just overestimates its ability yeah yeah Yeah. and i also thought of there were these four different things that i i have um So I'll start with this quote. Psychological truths are not metaphysical insights. They are habitual modes of thinking, 
feeling, and behaving which experience has proven has proved appropriate and useful. So my question is, what are each of these? Um, I would say, and I I would want you to to expound a little bit more on these, Corey. Uh, self, anima, shadow, and ego consciousness. What are these four things? Uh, now, and we, we already discussed self. So I guess we can say, just as, just as a very basic overview, anima, shadow, and ego consciousness, since we already went over the self. Yeah, anima, it's... Anima animus. Anima animus. It's, it's kind of your imprinted instinctual psychology of the other sex. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, typically self-correcting and, oh. and gives you images to kind of shoot you towards a relationship. Um, mm. And maturing into like finding a mate or partner. Mm. Uh, yeah, shadow, it's, it's the part of your personality the ego um what do you say ego consciousness yeah ego consciousness that's the last part that i i wasn't 100 percent sure about what that is yeah the shadow is just the part that you're um you know like your pride and the 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 personality that you're aware of that you have um that it rejects um the shadow jung doesn't typically say the shadow is inherently evil it it kind of has these cravings and desires and it's almost like a like a kid um the shadow is more of a misunderstood thing it's just it's not really capable of morality it just kind of has these desires and wants um and i guess like could throw its own temper tantrums or something Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, uh Since I've been talking for a bit, why don't I let I'll let you have a turn here, Corey? Uh, yeah. So yeah, getting onto the self, the so you've integrated your shadow mostly, you've integrated your anima animus mostly, and you, you could encounter other archetypes in the individuation process, such as the wise old man, or you know, a bunch of other ones that Jung outlines. Uh, so you've gotten to a point you're not behaving in response to trauma. You're not overreacting. You're not projecting your own evil onto other people. Um, nor are you repressing the parts of yourself that you uh, are afraid to interact with. And that, that brings us to the self. The self, how do I word this? Jung kind of views, okay, let's go to cosmology, getting out of the okay. psyche for a second. He kind of views like the, the generative energy in the center of the cosmos as a interaction of opposites. Uh, for example, chaos and order. There's, there's a big bang, and then there's all this gas, and then the gas comes together into stars, that's like an order, and then they explode and make heavier elements, that's chaos, and then these heavier elements form, you know, planets and intelligent life. Uh, or um, what's another one? Imagination and, and reason, that 
you'd view the universe as maybe like a dialogue between those two. That laws of physics are kind of maybe reasonable, but but then, for example, the first molecules bond and make the first elements. Like stuff bonded and made properties that prior had never existed in the cosmos. Intelligence life is made in the cosmos, and this is a phenomenon that had not previously existed. Uh, or love for the first time is formed in the cosmos. Uh, I, I'm kind of rambling, but Jung basically views the universe as consisting of chaos and order and dialogue, unity, diversity, reason, imagination, uh, masculine and feminine, cooperation and competition. Mm -hmm. He views these just going back and forth and almost generating everything. So Jung almost views the self as the true self, which I like the way you described it. It's not always what you can articulate, but it's, it's really who you are. He views that as, as structurally attached to this generative energy of the cosmos. That w when you when your self is integrated, you're, you're properly balancing your reason, imagination, uh, chaos and order. When do I need to change things up? Or when can I keep on doing what I've normally done? Um, balances your individuality and the, the collectiveness. Yeah, so, so Jung's thought is that the self, it, it just connects to the, like this thing that's been happening um, the whole time. And Jung doesn't think that these, these opposites, uh, he doesn't think that they are really reconciled, like black and white don't become gray. He views it almost like a, like a fractal. Like the, mm -hmm. the math of self-symmetry, like the deeper you go into these opposites, the more you see the self-symmetry and things still interacting with themselves, that, that there's a deepening in this paradox. That So, yeah, later on he defines the self as the, what's it called? Connecto oppositorium, the connection of opposites. Mm. Okay. Or union of opposites as well. Now, when you mention the thing that's happening, what did you mean exactly by that? Because that's something that stuck out to me. Wait, the thing that's happening? Yeah. It, 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 back up your sentences. Because I didn't want to interrupt, but um, you mentioned something about the thing that is happening in your life. Maybe things that are... Maybe not so much the black and white become gray, but two things that are opposites. The things that are happening in your life, I guess. Mm. What, what exactly did you mean by something like that? I, I guess Jung's deep idea of, of maybe balance, that, that something happens and then intuitively there's like an energy that's a response to that. And he almost seems to think that there's like a flow to the cosmos and that you're almost getting in line with that. Mm -hmm. 
when the self is properly integrated. You're not overreacting to stuff, um, although the self is a, a balancing function to living. Hmm. Okay. I'm wondering how to have that in our daily lives, the balance of self integrated to living. Is that what you said? Yeah, you kind of need to, before you apply it to ourselves, you kind of need to buy into his cosmology, his everything, mm. his connection between the universal and, and the person, that these universal dialogues also take part inside of us. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how he relates that to something that might possibly be transcendent. But, oh, well, that's... No, I don't think that's conducive currently. Maybe maybe in the next podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Not right now, though. So I guess, um, yeah, I have a question right here. What is the thing in itself? For I have it on paragraph 60 for page 32. If I can get to it. Yeah, he's mentioning a lot of these things, and he's mentioning a thing in itself. Ah, I, I think he's referencing... Now, that this will be the next chapter, but Christ as a symbol of the self, as, as the ultimate archetype. But I'm wondering if he's meaning the things, what the thing in itself is. This is probably multiple things of the thing in itself. Dude, I need I might need a quote to even remotely no, answer that fine. question. You're fine. Trust uh, me, I even I'm I I um, we I suppose we can skip that one. Yeah, we'll we'll let somebody else out there think on that one. What is the thing in itself? Yeah, we could skip that one. We can skip that question. I'm, I'm not too affected by it because I think we're we've been kind of going through the thing in itself. Yeah, and I, maybe I think this might be what you're getting at. There, there's this whole dialogue in the, there's this whole stream of thought in the second half of that chapter, where Jung realizes that there's this like balancing function. And he he kind of has like an A and a B proposition. The A proposition is that this um, this balancing function is like the will of God, and the B proposition is that it's just natural forces. That it's it's kind of our instincts that are the things that are self-regulating and balancing. Hmm. So I was just trying to get things in proper order. Um, he, I think he's trying to figure out how to conceptualize this this inner autonomy of of the self, almost balancing opposites. He he does not think that it being natural forces is a sufficient enough answer. Hmm. So something something that is metaphysical, would you say? Yeah, and I, I think that is how he, he segues to saying the self is indistinguishable from the Imago Dei. Hmm. 
Hmm. He's saying this thing that is balancing people. It, it's it's not explainable by just nature and instincts. Yeah, I mean, there's this quote that I got from the next paragraph, actually, relating it to something more practical. For psychology, one cannot divorce human emotion from the fact of reality. To do this would cause the process of individuation to be hindered and possibly cause a split in one's own psyche, be it either a major split that causes great damage that takes years to repair, or small splits that someone can still function in life but remain a fractured individual. Mm. So it's basically um, human emotion from the fact of reality, I suppose, um, what is and what you actually feel can be two different things and if you don't have those so if something is a thing but you don't accept that thing and you reject it i suppose individuation can't happen properly but if you see a thing as it is and you accept that well this is the reality of that thing i'm guessing individuation is a is more likely to happen for that person yeah yeah jung's view is wholeness not not perfection that that's that's the proper development of a human um from a from a clinical psychologist's point of view so it, it's almost as if he's saying the goal is wholeness so you have a bunch of puzzle pieces and maybe in some ways you're more put together in other ways you're not mm-hmm. uh, maybe you have the edges because that's the, the only way to do a puzzle properly is to do the edges first mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, his view is that like absolutely nothing can be left out. That everything needs to be kind of integrated into wholeness. That that and he might even say that issues of now this is now this is talking in the you know early um, was it twentieth century he yeah. would. He would say like, oh, schizophrenia, it's, it's an issue of of the self not being properly made whole. Now, as far as, that, as if that's lived up to what we know about um, pharmacology and all that stuff nowadays, may be true for certain cases. Uh, so yeah, his view really is that everything needs to be on the table and combined that, that no part of the self can be rejected. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a... Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add on to that. Um, as for this next quote here, in psychology, one possesses nothing unless one has experienced it in reality. Hence, a purely intellectual insight is not enough because one knows only the words and not the substance of the thing from inside. So it's basically somebody who knows a lot versus somebody who has experienced a lot. Mm. Think of somebody who has a, somebody who has learned a lot about hunting versus somebody who has actually hunted. So you can have somebody who's read a lot of things on, say, nature and wilderness survival, and they might be able to apply that if you drop them out in the middle of the wilderness. But... You take somebody who's maybe had wilderness survival experience under their belt for maybe 10 years. If you were to drop them out in the wilderness, 
my money would be on the person who has the experience to actually survive versus the person who's never actually applied everything that they've learned. Yeah. Yeah, like if, if experience does not structurally become attached to a person, then there's no way of knowing the, the credibility of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess my other question would be, well, not would be, but there seems to be a lack of of maybe respect towards those who have experienced more. But at the same time, I'm wondering if those who have experienced more in life might be a little bit more arrogant. Am I, um, where this is coming from for me are those who... So I'm thinking of this older generation versus younger generation. An older generation who might be disconnected from a younger generation in terms of being a bit out of touch. Let's say, for instance... Um, baby boomers with technology versus guys like you and me, me being millennial, you being Gen Z, us where we have a better understanding of the technology. And we hear um, somebody who's a baby boomer talking about technology like we're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. But I wonder what the difference is between, I guess it can be, we can relate that to some sort of experience because we've experienced this technology more in depth versus what the older generation seems to. Because you have a better respect for somebody who might be more in touch with something that might be more experienced with something. So for instance, another example is a car mechanic. Don't give me, for me, don't give me a car to work on because I'd probably do more harm to it than good. The most I could probably do is change a tire. That's about it. I think it has to do with somebody who you know is talking about what they would actually know. Um, so if somebody who doesn't really understand the internet is talking about the internet in such a way, you're like, dude, what? you don't know what you're talking about versus somebody who knows the internet and we're like, okay, you know what you're talking about. I may not fully agree with you, but you've had more experience online navigating these websites and stuff like that. Does that all make sense? Yeah, I, I think universally it is true that experience is, is much more real than having abstract ideas about how things work. Uh, for Jung, he... He starts to make a metaphysical experience that the self is only understood through experience. That's where he's going with this quote. Like he speculates that there's the self, there's this center of an identity that actually is in the unconscious mind. It's not even fully knowable or articulatable. And Jung is saying that there are people that have learned to trust that almost like lean on their unconscious like it's like a wall and you're leaning on it mm -hmm. and they've they've had experiences he's almost getting to the limits of his his thought that he can talk about the individuation process however he cannot for any one of his readers 
make very hard statements about the self because mm-hmm. everyone will have a different like purpose. Mm. I'm just trying to ruminate on that idea. Yeah, I guess everybody. I think, yeah, I think it is more the philosophy behind his writing. Mm-hmm. He's writing from what he believes to be the standpoint of a medical professional having had a lot of clients and done a lot of psychotherapy. And he's perhaps had clients find wellness and says that there's a self, some sort of a core humanity of, of those people um, that found wellness. However, he, he does not think it can be experienced through writing about it. That's a good way of putting it. So I suppose the, let's say the psychologist who just got out of college, who knows a, who knows a lot of theory, but doesn't know how to apply it yet, versus the psychologist who's been doing their practice for 10, 15 years, I suppose would be a good example in regards to Jung. Yeah, that that's just an assumption he's taking into writing it. Um, I, I don't know if it's really new content to his individuation process. However, it's it's just his philosophy of empiricism. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do like that idea of... I would rather have my trust in somebody who's experienced something rather than somebody who just simply has read, read a lot. Though, of course, if somebody's read a lot, you still want to listen to what they have at least to say because they can at least tell you the theory behind it but if you want to know the practical application and if they've never really used it it's like i suppose if you're going target practice and somebody's who's read all the theories of how to shoot a gun but it's never actually shot a gun i'd rather take my i'd rather learn how to shoot with say somebody who's actually shot even if they've never read the theory versus somebody who's read the theory, but never shot. Yeah. It's almost like having a spiritual leader Mm -hmm. and then you ask them, how does forgiveness work to this spiritual leader? Mm -hmm. And if they like provide examples of, Hey, here's when I had to forgive someone is very difficult. That's like a really good spiritual leader. Mm -hmm. If they just hit you with theology and actually can't even describe a time they've forgiven someone that that's kind of like a, a dangerous leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody who might be able to lead people with theory, but versus somebody who can lead people with example. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's ways that you, you can talk about things, but like for me, I want, and like I said, this is in the context of finding wholeness. I want to, I want to talk to people that have experienced uh, joy and heartbreak and and um, pain and laughter and, and all these things that, that really understands it and really understands how how it's all part of the human experience to be someone I I really trust and those inner circles of conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose in relation to people, um, 
why why are people and i suppose you could also relate this to people's personal experience why are some people so afraid of the self their own self or of their own unconscious uh, it requires sacrificing your conscious version of yourself uh the person you think you are might not be the person you ought to be. And there's an amount of not knowing that that would have to occur. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm more... This is all from a Jungian perspective. I, I can't say I've lived with this content long enough to say I am fully on his boat. The one thing I do not agree with him on is he talks about the self containing the that generative energy of the cosmos i talked about the the chaos and order and mm -hmm. masculine and feminine beginnings and endings individual and collective and in the next chapter he starts to lob in other other dualities he starts to lob in good and evil for example mm -hmm. and he starts to lob in dualities that take on a moral dimension yeah yeah and i've notated here some of the stuff here in my notes because i actually had a bit to say on the next chapter but i do want i think it would be good to save that for the next episode because that would be i feel like very good to have a really good conversation over because like i said i've got a, a lot to talk about on that because mm -hmm. i feel like if i were to go more into that it, this would be maybe a two hour two and a half hour podcast oh gosh yeah i mean for now i guess i i don't really have much else to add do you have any other thoughts that you want to add not really it like Jung basically as a clinical psychologist is making a claim about what the self is. He says you cannot get to it except through experience. So it, it, it's a little mystical. And he also says that it's equivalent to the Christian tradition of the Imago Dei. So it's kind of a lot and it's all at once. Hmm. So I, I think I'm just going to reserve my judgment on this one. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I, I would, I'd hold off on, for myself. I I don't want to talk too much on something that I wouldn't be too familiar with, or that I don't feel like I can make a definitive statement on. So it'd be good just to, like you said, keep yourself reserved on that matter. All right. See you, Jordan. <laughs> All right. I'll see you.